all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, developmental and behavioral pediatrician and professor emeritus at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's not just a disorder of childhood. Do you think you or someone you care about might have it? Do you need to know more about the correct workup and treatment? Today is the day to get answers to your questions about ADHD. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Trump will address a joint session of Congress tonight for the first time. After a turbulent month in office, he's looking to move beyond persistent allegations of improper ties with Russian intelligence, court battles over his travel ban, and skepticism over his pledge to have a working replacement for the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. NPR's Mara License as the president is expected to use the occasion to lay out his vision for the future. The speech is a chance for Donald Trump to reset his relationship with Congress and the American people after a rocky first month that ended with his approval ratings at historic lows. The goal is to show the American people that he's keeping the promises he made during the campaign. White House officials say he'll lay out an optimistic vision for the country, focusing on safety national security, and economic opportunity. That would be a contrast to the dark, dystopian view of America he shared in his inaugural address. While he won't go into great detail, he will tell Congress that he wants them to pass a bold agenda that will repeal Obamacare, rebuild the military, build a wall with Mexico, and create a big new infrastructure program. Mara Liason, NPR News, the White House. Democrats in Congress have been resisting Trump's initiatives, calling them a serious threat to existing protections for consumer rights, racial minorities, LGBT communities, the environment and the poor. But they acknowledge they face a daunting task in winning back uh, a control of the White House and a majority in Congress. There's a new leader at the helm of the Democratic National Committee, former Labor Secretary Tom Perez. He told NPR's Morning Edition, getting the party firmly on track will not be easy. We have work to do, and we need a 50-state strategy plus the territories. And, and that's what we talked about down in Atlanta last week, making sure that we redefine our mission as a Democratic Party so that we're not simply electing the president, but we're also working to elect people from the from the school board to the Senate across the nation. And we saw that happen in Delaware this weekend, where a state senator got elected and tipped the balance to the Democrats there. Turning now to South Korea, where the acting head of Samsung has been indicted on charges of bribery and embezzlement. 
More from NPR's Elise Hugh. Prosecutors announced the indictment after a three-month investigation into a scandal that has already led to the South Korean president's impeachment. Samsung's acting head, J.Y. Lee, got ensnared after documents showed Samsung funneled some $36 million to the president's close confidant. Prosecutors say the money was paid to win government support of a controversial 2015 company merger. The merger did go through after a vote of support from the government. In a statement, Samsung says it has not paid bribes or made improper requests to the government. The company leader, Lee, is currently in jail awaiting further proceedings in the case. Elise Hugh, NPR News, Seoul. You're listening to NPR News. The days of listening to music on CD in your car may be numbered. For the first time in 25 years, Ford Motor Company will sell a vehicle without the option of a CD player. NPR Sonari Glinton reports the company is adding streaming music and television. CD sales have been falling for years now, while more and more of us turn to subscription streaming services such as Apple Play or Spotify, especially with younger listeners, says Michael O'Brien with Ford. Who we found time and time again prefer streaming and subscription services over traditional forms like CDs. Ford will also be offering drivers the ability to stream cable and satellite TV directly into its new Ford Expedition. Even as distracted driving and fatalities increase, surveys show consumers favor infotainment systems over things like horsepower. Sonari Glenton, NPR News. The U.S. economy has grown at a rate of 1.9 percent in the fourth quarter. The figure on the gross domestic product marked a sharp slowdown from the 3.5 percent growth of the third quarter. The Commerce Department says consumer spending picked up more than it initially projected, but not as much by state and local governments. President Trump has a new Commerce Secretary. Vice President Mike Pence administered the oath of office to Wilbur Ross today. Yesterday, the Senate voted to confirm Ross by a vote of 72 to 27. U.S. stocks are lower with the Dow off seven points at 20,830. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Progressive Insurance, with insurance for cars, home, boat, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles. At 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. And the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Today we're talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. No, it's not just a disorder of childhood. You could have it, or maybe someone that you love might have it. Do you need to know more about the correct workup and treatment? Today is the day to get answers to your questions about anything you need to know about ADHD, whether it's for your child an adult you love, or maybe even yourself. 
So let's talk about what's going on in your life. I want you to share your comments and experiences with me this morning. You can call that one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And an email to family at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Dr. Buttress. Hi. Well, um, I'm down on the lovely Mississippi Gulf Coast um, in Bay St. Louis. Lots going on down here with Mardi Gras. Uh-huh, I bet. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I had, some, I had some Mardi Gras potato chips for the first time just a few minutes ago. Oh, now, those are very spicy. I've had those. I, don't, I didn't know you could uh, <laughs> capture Mardi Gras on a potato chip, but yes, they've done it. <laughs> Well, it's been a um, fun time down here for um, lots of people. And uh, today, actually, uh, for somebody with ADHD, may be a little bit difficulty with all the the different things that are going on. So anyway, I think that this is a topic I know we've talked about before, but I thought we needed to bring up again to make sure that um, everybody's current on what's going on. There have been some changes in um, how we look at ADHD, maybe a little bit uh, difference in the the treatment, treatment protocol and all, and, um, and some new information about how often it really can affect women. For the longest, we thought ADHD was a disorder that was more predominantly in the male population, particularly little boys. Um, They are naturally a little bit more active, um, and so one tends to say if you have a really active little boy that they tend to be uh, more frequently having ADHD. But what's been found recently is girls can also have it. Uh, they're just not as active, so they don't get tagged quite as quickly. So I wanted to talk about that. Um, I want to talk also about the causes of it. And then the mimickers of ADHD is one of those topics that we just have to talk about. There's so many different things that can look like ADHD that it's really important to be careful not just to think you can use a checklist and make the diagnosis. So that those are kind of, that's an outline of what I want us to talk about today. And um, as we go along, there's not a, a question that you can't ask about it. Or if there's another question that you have about learning in general as we're stepping through the show, happy to to talk to you about that. And uh, listeners, um, I hope you will give me a call and ask the questions that you might have at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So let me just start with, I think everybody has heard about ADHD uh, enough to know basically what it is. But let me remind you, I think there's still a lot of confusion that ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is the way it's called now. Even if you don't have a lot of hyperactivity. So the way the Psychiatric Association decided to 
divided out. It's called ADHD predominantly inattentive type, ADHD predominantly hyperactive type, or it can be the combined type. So to, to kind of keep that in mind, so just because you have somebody who's sitting, staring, being inattentive, and somebody calls them ADHD doesn't mean that they have it misnamed. Um, according to the, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that defines ADHD. I hope that made sense. Um, typically what happens, though, is in uh, children, the hyperactivity is more predominant. As one gets into adolescence, late adolescence, and then adulthood, many times the hyperactivity component even if you had it as a young child, it diminishes a good bit. And so you might, the way teenagers describe themselves is being more restless, sort of that feeling that they just can't be still, have to move about, have to shake that leg, but, but know enough to sit down in the classroom. Adults know enough to sit in their chairs when they're supposed to be sitting in their chairs, but they just have some difficulty with the restless feeling. And then, of course, the inability to focus for long periods of time. So, Jay, I know that you, um, in your uh, adulthood, have had some issues. Do you mind us talking a little <laughs> bit about your ADHD? Sure. Yeah. So was it discovered when you were a kid, or was it something that uh, you came up with as you were older, just knowing that there had been some symptoms there? Uh, it was not discovered when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that was a, a, a thing that anybody had really ever checked on me, or I even thought to get checked on my own until I was at least past 30. So Yeah. And that's pretty typical. You know, it's been ADHD has been known about for a long time. Gosh, back in the 1960s, it was starting to be described, but not not really understood very well and often thought to be more um, a disorder that was, it was called, um, in fact, back in the old days, minimal brain dysfunction. Uh, and meaning that there was a thought that there was some brain injury there um, that caused the inattention and the hyperactivity. Well, now we know that's not so, and uh, we have a much, much better definition of what's going on. But, yeah, many times kids went through school as the ones who were just not motivated or just um, not as bright or maybe bad kids. There were so many different labels that happened to these children with ADHD before there was good understanding of what was really going on. Yeah, I think uh, some of the interesting points, though, are that I know some people don't want to look, parents, for example, mm -hmm. don't want to necessarily look for excuses for their right. children. Um, I know that's probably the way my parents were. That's the way I tend to want to be with my children. That's mm -hmm. a, and that's a fine line. And, and a lot of the things that you could see that are um, symptoms of ADHD or byproducts of symptoms from ADHD, 
um, can also, I mean, could just be things like uh, lack of discipline. Uh, and, you know, you don't do yeah, – and I, most parents, I think, don't know where to draw the line between is is this a thing the kid is just not wanting to do or his parents have not instilled in him or is this a, a thing that no matter how hard they try, it's just not going to take. Right. Those are Those are some great points, and I hear that all the time. And that's why it's so very important to remember that it takes a pre- professional – to make the diagnosis. And and I mean someone who will look at everything that might be causing the inattention, the lack of focus, the, the difficulty sitting still. And one of them can be discipline. One can be behavioral, certainly. But um, just in uh, just a very quick run-through before we get to our first break, let me list some of the many things that it can be besides ADHD, a visual deficit, a child who's not seeing what's going on in front of them, a child who's not hearing. So you may have a child who's not listening to direction because they literally are not hearing you. It could be lack of sleep. We have very clear evidence that lack of sleep can impair the ability to pay attention. Think about learning disability, a child who doesn't understand what's going on, so they can't pay attention because they can't understand about what's going on. Uh, so that's another big issue that can come up. Uh, so do does every child who has problems paying attention and sitting still, does every child need to have formal psychological testing? Probably not. We can talk about when and when not, but that's something to always keep in mind. Um, Other things such as medications that they're taking can interfere with the ability to pay attention. Um, So you can see I I could keep going with the list. I've listed some very important things as as one gets older and actually even in, in the young child thyroid problems, uh, low-functioning thyroid, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, an overly-functioning thyroid, both can cause someone to look like they have ADHD. Um, So uh, I'll throw this out to our listeners. Do you have questions about that? Do you think that maybe um, a workup was not adequately done before it was recommended that your child or thought that your child had ADHD. How do we need to step through that? I'll I'll talk about that after we come back from our first break. And um, Jay, maybe you can, we can go a little bit further about how you finally got to uh, your diagnosis. But um, we're talking about ADHD, the disorder, that it's not a disorder just of childhood, and we'll talk about who gets it and why they get it um, after the first break. But give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is relatively speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. 
From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Public Broadcasting presents Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel. With this show, Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel, I'm kind of going to take you on a little journey. You're going to get vintage, traditional gospel music right here on MPB. Premiering March 4th at 6 p.m. on MPB Television. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Speaking, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We're talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Not just a disorder of childhood. You could have it, or someone you care about around you could have it. Um, what's the correct way to make the diagnosis? And then, how do you treat it? We can talk about any of that. Uh, we've talked some before the break about the many mimickers of ADHD and why it's so very important to make sure that you have a correct diagnosis. And now I want to talk just a little bit about the etiology. Who gets it? Why do they get it? Uh, There's pretty good evidence out there now. There's been a lot of research through the National Institute of Mental Health and others uh, looking at the, the causes. And it seems that about 40 to 60% of individuals who have ADHD have a parent who has ADHD. Uh, there, there seems to be a real genetic predominance. Now, there's some other things that can uh, increase the risk, like maternal smoking, mother smoking, or alcohol drinking during pregnancy. Uh, can in in a child who's not genetically ex, uh, predisposed perhaps cause problems with that. Um, of course, low birth weight, um, which goes along with the alcohol or cigarette smoking during pregnancy, uh, could have something to do with that. Um, what we found doesn't cause ADHD, but may in fact makes the symptoms worse are things such as dietary changes. There's some research going on looking at artificial dyes, um, particularly red dye 40, um, that seems to at least exacerbate problems with inattention, make them a little bit worse. Um, Simple sugars don't cause ADHD, but it does seem that in a small portion of the already hyperactive population, the sugars can make it worse. And, you know, I've just named two things that we know we don't need 
any of, actually. Um, so certainly the, the artificial dye, if you can avoid it, avoid it. Sugars have uh, as little as possible if you think you have problems with inattention. Now, the other thing, media has been implicated as causing ADHD. And we've talked about this on, on relatively speaking in the past. Things like children who spend so much time on video games. Is it harder for them to pay attention? Um, what about the distractions that they have even in the classroom now with their laptops in front of them? Uh, certainly, if you already are prone to it, you will have greater difficulty. There's, there's pretty good evidence that uh, the more hours spent playing video games or uh, spending a lot of time on rapidly moving electronic media makes it more difficult to have prolonged attention span. And even in our adult population, um, we know that adults now can't spend as much time paying attention as they likely used to be able to. We're just a faster-moving society. So do we need to change our standards a little bit? Those are all questions I'm throwing out to you to think about. And um, if you have any questions, give us a call about. Or if you have a medication question, certainly you can give a call. So the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can send an email to familyatmpdonline.org. Um, as we're moving along, uh, let me just talk to you a little bit more about what one would expect when somebody begins having problems with inattention. The very first thing you want to do is to make sure that you are getting enough sleep. So what is enough sleep? Uh, for most people, we know most children need somewhere between 8 and 10 hours of sleep. Um, adults need somewhere between 7 and 9 hours of sleep. And, of course, there's some fair variation on the individual. But... If you, if you have someone who has a lot of disruptive sleep or a lot of uh, snoring or potentially sleep apnea, then you know that uh, you likely need to look at sleep before you move into doing any kind of other diagnosis. I always tell my parents and, and anyone who asks me, the very first thing you want to do if you have inattention and sleep problems is fix sleep first. Um, there's just absolutely no excuse for thinking that. You need to treat the ADHD with a stimulant medication before you make sure that you have adequate sleep going on. And sometimes that takes a while. Uh, so to, to jump into a treatment with medication for ADHD is, is probably not best practice. Another thing to know is that if the criteria for ADHD is met, so you've ruled out everything, you've ruled out sleep problems or other medical problems, you've checked 
vision, you've checked hearing, you're certain this child does not have a learning disability, meaning that they're they're struggling to learn how to read or struggling to learn to do math or have difficulties with express expressive writing if you if you check into all that and it looks like this is probably truly ADHD before you jump into medication treatment it's a good idea to work with the teacher in the classroom to see if making some accommodations is helpful um, like allowing legitimate movement in the classroom like breaking uh, the assignments down into smaller pieces and perhaps not handing the child uh, the information. Uh, organizational skills is often a big, big problem in individuals, adults and children with ADHD. And so it's really important to, uh, to work with them on helping organize. I know many times I have parents out there who will help the child every single day reorganize their backpack or reorganize their folders to help them. Uh, so, and, and then also uh, the teachers often are very adept and very good at knowing how to make some classroom changes um, uh, to help the child. And I'd love to hear if there are any teachers in the listening audience, give us a call and let us know the types of things you have done to maybe help your students in the classroom with ADHD. Dr. Buttress, we have a phone call. Let's go to uh, Kay in Memphis. Oh, good. Good morning, Kay. What's your question? Good morning, Dr. Buttress. I, I listen to you all the time, but I'm 86 and I don't even, you know, I just, I'm a retired medical social worker, and I have worked for, oh, about eight years in New Orleans working with children. So, um, I, but I also had a, an adopted son who did have ADHD. Now, the uh-huh. thing that I was interested in was you were talking about the other things that could contribute. But the one thing I did not hear you speak about was the vision. I had to finally take my son out of school, and I had him in a private school where they had a special class, and they could not control him. What I found out, I took him to Southern College of Optometry here in Memphis, and they discovered that his eye muscle development was at a second-grade level, and he should have been working at a beginning fifth-grade level. So for a whole semester, I took him there twice a week and they put him on the machine and they worked with him and at the end of that time his vision was where it should be i did have i, I transferred him because of his age etc and mm-hmm. i never had another complaint about his behavior i would go over to pick him up and he and some other boys and the principal would be out in the schoolyard throwing the football and so forth so there is, his vision was twenty twenty. That wasn't the problem. He, his eyes muscle would not work. I would listen to him read, and on one line he'd know the word, on another line he wouldn't, and he mm-hmm. would pronounce into, to in, and, you know, and I knew he had a serious eye problem. So I just wanted to, to uh, add that comment yeah. that 
that that kind of thing is not picked up with just recommendations that, you know, when they come into test 2020. It does not pick it up. So yeah, Kay, you're, you're mentioning something that's been very, very controversial. And, and so you are talking about the optometric exercises that are done when um, it seems that the eyes aren't working together. So it makes it more difficult to focus and and read. Um, So there's not been a lot of good scientific evidence that that really makes a big difference. Now, it is very clear that there are some children who have eye muscle issues and there are very, it's very clear that some children have what we call disconjugate eye movement, where their eyes don't move together um, and focus together. And certainly that can make it very difficult to read. That child would look more like a, a child with dyslexia. But again, if it's very hard for them to concentrate and uh, pay attention because they're having double vision or something like that, then then certainly that would interfere with the ability to to pay attention. So certainly um, I, I didn't bring that up because of the controversy. Most ophthalmologists, MDs, do not believe that that is a significant issue um it does seem though that um some some children have had that disconjugate eye movement difficulty learning to read because of double vision um you know my husband actually has amblyopia he wears glasses and they um help the 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 eyes um uh work together in tandem he has an astigmatism too so there are a lot of things that can go on with the eyes that can um, cause some difficulty and always important to get that checked out so okay thanks for your call Um, another thing uh, that uh, I did mention is so many times you know when children are adopted you don't know what the genetics the genetic history is and like I said many times there there is some family family history of that so I hope that that helped I think Kay is correct in reminding everybody to to make sure now you also said that you change schools sometimes schools are not um, some schools are just not the right schools for some children. And I know our children in public school, and know that I'm a big proponent of public schools, um, often don't have a choice. So, you know, they're, they're in public school, and so they're not going to change from one public school to another. But um, sometimes classroom size can make a big difference. Sometimes just the classroom teacher I know, and I'm sure our listeners know, they're hopefully listening out there um, about this, that if you, ha- if you have someone talking to you in front of a room full of people and they're talking at you and they're boring and their voice is monotone, it's going to be hard to pay attention. We also know that active um, learning is way better than passive learning. So keep that in mind. 
Um, I believe we're going to go to our next break right now. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about that active and passive learning. So I want to hear from you. I know you're out there with some questions. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about ADHD. We'll be right back. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Mississippi Public Broadcasting presents Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel. With this show, Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel, I'm kind of going to take you on a little journey. You're going to get vintage traditional gospel music right here on MPB. Premiering March 4th at 6 p.m. on MPB Television. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And today we're talking about any questions that you might have about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We're talking about the fact that it does seem to have a genetic predominance. It is a real disorder. There is a difference there. And we'll talk in a minute about some of the brain activity differences and structural differences um, that we know about. But I'd also like to just throw some things, some questions out to you. Uh, Do you do you have a child on treatment that's not working? Do you have some concerns about the present treatment your child is on? Do you have some thoughts about how maybe classroom changes need to happen so that we don't need to have as many children on medication? And then I have another final question. Do you think there's drug diversion? Do you think that we have people misusing the medications developed for the treatment of ADHD? Dr. Um, Buttress, uh, we have a a call if you want to go to the phones uh, quickly here. We have uh, Frank from Jackson uh, who's on the phone with us. Okay, good morning, Frank. Good morning, good morning. This is a very complicated issue. Um, It is. Yeah, but my question is, it seems counterintuitive and works against the common person like myself's understanding of what's going on when you give a stimulant to someone who is hyperactive. Could you explain that, please? What a great question. Thanks for asking, Frank. Um, it, It does seem counterintuitive. And, you know, there was a lot of misinformation out there because, 
the honest truth is when the stimulants were first used for the treatment of ADHD, people really didn't know how they worked. They just knew that they worked. And that was as early as, like I said, 1960, that they first discovered that they were really helpful, actually in the 30s. Um, so the, the neurochemical makeup of an individual's brain who has ADHD is a little bit different in that, in that they typically don't have enough of the neurotransmitter dopamine. Um, dopamine works at the nerve endings and it just causes connectivity and sustained connectivity from one nerve cell to the next. Okay. And so the way the stimulants work is they prolong the connectivity by prolonging that neurochemical dopamine at the nerve ending. So there's a junction at the nerve endings between the, the different nerve uh, cells, axons and dendrites, the front and the back um, of, are the connectors. And so what these medications do is they get that dopamine to hang around in the nerve endings a little longer so they help, help you pay attention. Does that make sense a bit? Um, that is the way the stimulant medications work, okay, by prolonging or increasing the amount of dopamine. Now, there are some non-stimulant medications that seem to, to work that also tend to have um, some effect on a couple of other neurochemicals, but they don't seem to work quite as well. Some of you may have heard of um, clonidine, that's CAFE is the trade name, or 10X, that's Intunive. Those are more, they, they are both old blood pressure medicines that were studied and found to be helpful but they help more on the hyperactivity component and give more central calming, um, unlike the stimulants. So Frank's question was correct in that it, it really, um, it, they're stimulants, uh, but the problem is not so much that we have to sedate the child to calm them down, but it's to help them pay attention, and by paying better attention for both adults and children, then you tend to be able to focus and be more still. Um, the goal is never to be completely still. I tell parents that all the time. Um, do not think that um, for a medication to be appropriate, the child has to sit down and be quiet for eight hours a day. That, that's not normal childhood, and that's not what we should expect. What we should expect is to have a child who can sit in a classroom and function and get the work done um, when it's presented to them appropriately and when it's information that they are able to do. I hope that makes sense. Uh, Jay, do we have any other callers right now? Uh, we have uh, uh, Kay wanted to finish her thoughts um, uh, from Memphis here in just a second. But first, we had a, a question uh, uh, sure. on an email here. Uh, someone asked um, a friend of theirs, uh, ADHD medication gives, uh, it's an adult, 
and it gives them uh, upset stomach, the ADHD medication. Uh, uh-huh. Is there a solution or a workaround for that? Yes. Well, it, it actually depends on the medication. So um, feel free to call in if you want to give me the specific medicine. There are a couple of ADHD medications that that do cause stomach problems. Um, one, atomoxetine, which is Stratera, is um, a non-stimulant medicine. It's one of those that works a little bit differently. Um, it works on both dopamine and norepinephrine um, in the reuptake. So the, that norepinephrine also is a chemical, a brain chemical that helps you concentrate. Um, and it can cause significant problems with um, nausea or dyspepsia, sort of an uneasy feeling or queasy feeling if you take it on an empty stomach. So one thing uh, I always recommend is that you take that medicine after you've eaten. Um, And actually, um, that is what I typically recommend um, for even the stimulant medicine some um, some individuals will have a little queasy stomach if they take uh, medications, um, the stimulant medicines like, uh, I'll name a few, Concerta, Adderall, um, Vivant, some of those, um, they all feel a little bit queasy. It's okay to take it with food. It, it doesn't tend to to change the absorption. I believe Adderall has changed a little bit with high-fat foods, but um, it just slows the absorption a little bit, which is typically not a big tragedy. But good question. If you want um, to ask specifically about a medicine, feel free to send that question. Um, And everybody's a little bit different. And um, one medicine I always tell physicians that I teach when you are um, treating ADHD, you never want to just have one single medication that you use because patients are different. Neurochemically, we're all a little bit different. So what might work for me might not work for you. So keep that in mind. Um, so, All right, uh, Dr. Buttress, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, I think we have uh, a Jennifer in Vicksburg we're going to go to here in just a second, but uh, Ms. Kay from Memphis wanted to uh, finish up uh, her oh, question okay. there. Sure. Hi, Kay. Hey. Um, I did not want to imply that his vision problem was the cause of his problem. We adopted him when he was six years old. He was already being seen by a neurologist and was on Ritalin. So ah. he was on medication. I watched his intake of sweets. People thought that was ridiculous, but if they would have a party at school and he got a hold of sweets, he was, I would have to lock the, the back doors <laughs> in the car because if I stopped at a stop sign, I was afraid he was going to jump out. You he know, was, I've heard that from parents. And like I said, studies show that about 2% of that hyperactive population is really significantly affected so yeah and like i said who who needs that anyway yeah well see back in 1980 they didn't know as much about it as they do now exactly right that's that's when we adopted him at age six 
and he was and, well on his way. So, but anyway, he's doing fine now. He's married, has a family, and chose a vocation. I guess you'd call it that. That fits him fine. He is an expert mechanic, and that allows him to move around and be active. And he doesn't really have much trouble with it. You can tell he's a little overactive. I don't think he's taking any medication. I don't know. He's forty something years old. <laughs> so you don't get up in that now. But you know that you you just also pointed out something that you can have a very successful individual who has ADHD. It has nothing to, to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with your skill set. But typically individuals with ADHD do pick a vocation, a career that allows them to be more active. Um, you know, the the person who who chooses to um, to do something that is going to require a lot of sit down concentration, like law, for example, may be more difficult for an individual with ADHD. I'm sure there are plenty of physicians out there who have um, had problems with ADHD once they get out and practice though because they're moving about it's not as big of a problem so certainly um uh Kate the other thing I'll just mention and I have no idea what your child was exposed to before uh your son was exposed to before he came to you but you know I mentioned some of the other things in your surroundings that that can cause it, like maternal smoking or alcohol during pregnancy sometimes can um, exacerbate or increase problems. Um, so that that may have been something that he had also in his history. So thanks for your call back, and it's good to hear a good into a story like that. It sounds like you were um, a wonderful mother, and he was lucky to have you. So we have Jennifer, um, Jay. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we have uh, Jennifer in Vicksburg. Okay. Let's go to Jen- Jennifer. Good morning. Thanks. For- Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm uh, good. My, my question is about my son. I have a um, 16-year-old son who has been treated for ADHD since kindergarten, but uh-huh. he has, was diagnosed with the inattentive type. And come find out about fifth grade, he was diagnosed with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So, um, and now he's in the ninth grade, and we changed schools. We sent him to uh, New Summit, who has a dyslexia program. And right. my question is, he's currently taking the Daytrona 20-milligram patch. Right. And he's doing well. His grades are A's and B's. Is there a point when you try to take him off medicines and see how he'll do? That's a good question, and and... Um, most of the literature, and this is kind of what um, I have done in my practice, it's a good idea to um, try to give a trial off the medication about once a year to just see where you are. But many times parents know that that trial off will be a disaster because the medication is is, uh, so good. Now, um, this is one way to do it. We know that as ADHD, as children and, and adults with ADHD age, that the symptoms tend to get better if they are getting the proper treatment and help. 
accommodations and other things. Typically, the hyperactivity gets better, the inattention gets better. We do know that just pure ADHD is somewhat a disorder of maturation in that there is some um, spec can uh, some spec scan evidence that has shown that as individuals with ADHD mature, the prefrontal cortex, the front part of their brain, um, begins to have better activity. So you're paying better attention. Your executive function gets better. With all that said, my recommendation is if we think they're doing just great and on the present dose and they've done really well for a long time, I usually try to diminish the dose a little bit. So he's on a Daytona patch of 20, go down to 15. If he's still doing great on 15 after a couple of months, try to diminish to 10 so that you don't just go from a 20 milligram patch to to stopping. Um, now on the weekends, we in the weekends and in the summer or any holidays when he's not in school, we don't take medicine. Okay, and, and, he's a little and does sillier. he do real well? Yeah, he's a little sillier, but mm. you know he's not. Um, you know, since he's not hyperactive, he's not. He's never a behavior problem. He's right. just a little goofier off of medicine. Yeah, you know, he, he's <laughs> not as focused. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's one thing while uh, we're talking about that, the the holiday breaks, the weekend breaks, um, you know, the the newer literature says if they really need the medicine, uh, they might also need it for socialization. I uh, I have some kids who stop it because they have the inattentive type and, and really don't feel like they need it at all. I have some who diminish the dose a bit. So um, with a, a, a Daytona patch, you know, using a, a half dose rather than the full is a possibility if you think he socializes better. But there's some who who really feel like um, as long as they can rip and run, they get along well with other kids. I think that's, yeah, that's fine. So, um you still see a bit of a difference. So he would be one of those who I would say if you you know that there's a little difference during school at this point, Nandy Summit, great school, small classrooms. So um, I know that um, their, their accommodations made, um, they're able to make accommodations more in a smaller classroom setting in a private school such as that. So um, I would talk with the teachers. I typically like to get rating scales to see um, how the classroom function is going on to make sure that we are really looking at everything and uh, knowing that it's not just grades that we're looking at, but classroom function too. And and then to to feel comfortable going down a little on the dose and see how we're doing. And, you know, nothing's set in stone. You don't build up a blood level with these stimulants. So um, when the medication's on board, you're getting the full effect. It's not like you have to have it on board for three weeks to have the full effect. So um, I hope that helped a little bit. 
on uh, Jennifer. I, I think I would feel very comfortable if you have a lot of question on whether or not you need the dose to ask your physician to maybe decrease the dose a little bit for you to see how well he does. Okay. Um, All right, we've have... got uh, we've got Trish and Laurel up next. Okay, Trish. Good morning. Yes. Thanks for calling. Good morning. What I kind of question to... do you have? Okay, it's a statement. I wanted to encourage parents. My thirty-seven-year-old daughter was diagnosed at nine years that she would never learn to read, but we, you know, found a program and sent her to a special program in the summertime. She is a master's degree engineer now, so she functions on a very high level. She's still dyslexic. She still has problems sometimes with proofreading, but she's done great. And I, my recommendation is watch the sugar, watch the caffeine, and just love them. And make sure they had accommodations. She didn't have accommodations until she was admitted to state. Yeah. That's a shame, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. Yeah. You are bringing up a, a really good point, um, Trish. That is that um, dyslexia is, I, I don't know if everybody knows what dyslexia is, but it's a, it's a reading disorder that can cause several different things, but it's a, it's a disorder of phonology, having difficulty sounding out right. um, and, and all. Right. And so it's it's one of those things, if left undiscovered, the way we learn to read, we learn how to sound things out and right. um, be able to... Um, decode. We decode. Thank you. I, I was missing that word. It, we're able to, to decode things. People with dyslexia just have okay. to learn by sight, right? And they have to... Um, have some special instruction to teach them how to decode. Right. So um, your point is really good, and that's why many times there is a comorbidity. You can have a child with both dyslexia or another learning disability and ADHD. So you can treat the ADHD, but not the dyslexia with medicine. So it's really important to make sure your child, you know what's going on with your child and that they get the appropriate services. So um, thinking we're doing better. I know Mississippi has uh, dyslexia screeners going on in the public school, and I hope private schools are looking into that too. I think many are. Many do a good job. But that's one of those things that we have to just keep in mind but thanks for your call and thanks for that reminder for everybody um jay how are we doing do we have another caller we do but we have about 30 seconds left in the show okay so uh that's uh, larry and jackson if larry could give us uh an email or call us back uh on the show next week we don't quite have time to get him in okay larry Sorry about feel that, free larry. to send an email or if you would like to call in i'm always happy to answer any kind of question on any of these disorders we talk about it doesn't have to be the topic on the show at the time so um feel free i really appreciate our callers um coming in today i i know our show today was engineered by you jay who is our call screener sharita brent 
Oh, Sharita. Our lovely Sharita Brandt was our call screener. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you guys will all join me next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And stay tuned for NPR's Here Now coming up next on NPB Think Radio. Thanks so much for listening.